Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday the 3rd of November 2019. This morning we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from 1 Kings, chapter 17 verses 8 to 16, and brings us a message entitled, The Life and Times of Elijah, Focus on Faith. May I just say that the November bulletins are available. There's one or two at the back. Please, if you haven't got one, take one this morning. There are some cards left for our anniversary weekend, and I've been encouraging you to take a card or two and think of a loved one, a friend, a neighbor, that you could share this card uh, with. I also say that on Tuesday night, our midweek will be convened here in this building on Tuesday night, and we trust and pray that that will encourage you uh, to come along and to be part of an important uh, meeting in the weekly program of our church here in Cumber. That's Tuesday night. Remember again, we meet for prayer at 6 o'clock this evening and uh, uh, then our evening meeting at half past 6. So do keep that uh, in mind. Now let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're reading from verse 8 through to verse 16. We're continuing our studies on the life and times of Elijah. 1 Kings 17, verse 8. This is the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to him, that is Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar, and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it, and bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. And we thank God for his word. Do you believe what you sing? Do I believe what I sing? Do we practice what we preach? We sing faith is just believing what God says he will do. You know the story of the man who was asked the question, what is your faith? And he says, I believe all that God has written. I obey all that Christ has commanded. 
And I expect all that the Holy Spirit has promised. A faith that sees the invisible. A faith that believes the incredible. A faith that receives the impossible. We sometimes sing, O for a faith that will not shrink, though pressed by every foe, that will not tremble on the brink of any earthly woe. You will know that there are many chapters in the Bible that could be identified as what I would call stand-alone chapters. For instance, 1 Corinthians 13. If I was to ask the question this morning, what's that all about? And you would say it's love. It's a stand-alone chapter about love. 1 Corinthians 15, what is that all about? It's all about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a standalone chapter. And Hebrews chapter 11 falls into that category. It's a standalone chapter. It's all about faith. And the writer defines faith like this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's what faith is. And the people of God in both the Old and New Testament have many outstanding characteristics to be noted. But the one that binds them all together is summed up in one word, and that word is faith. Many of them seem to possess a quality of faith that can be lacking amongst you and me today. It has been said that you can do a great deal without faith, but nothing that is pleasing to God. Isn't that what the Bible teaches us in Hebrews eleven six? But without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so I'm asking you the question as I address you this morning, I address myself. Do we need a faith lift? I didn't say a faith lift, I said a faith lift. Thomas Brooke writes, faith makes invisible things visible, absent things present, and things that are very far off to be very near to the soul. Elijah was a man of faith. And when we examine his life as set before us in the pages of Holy Scripture, we discover that it teaches us some valuable lessons about placing our faith in God. A faith that sees the invisible. Moses endured seeing him who was invisible. A faith that believes the incredible. And a faith that receives the impossible. I want us to focus on faith, not just this morning, but maybe uh, for a couple of Sundays as we look in again at the life and times of God's servant, Elijah. And you will see as we expound this incident in his life in relation to the widow of Zarephath, that faith awaits God's plan. Faith awaits God's plan. We read these words in verse 17, And after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. When Elijah was down by 
Brook Cherith, the prophet, soon discovered that the famine which struck the land soon began to have an effect on the water supply. Let's picture him. Let's put ourselves into his shoes this morning. Week after week, with unfaltering and steadfast spirit, the prophet watched the dwindling brook. And bear this in mind, that the word of God in the letter to James reminds us that Elijah was a man of like passions as you and I are. And I'm sure that he was often tempted to stagger through unbelief. But somehow or other, he refused to let his circumstances come between him and God. And he realized that he was at the brook because God sent him there. That's why he was at Cherith. That's why he was at the brook. Go to the brook called Cherith. For I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And when the supply of water failed, he knew that the only thing that would be of lasting value to him was to wait upon God for a further word of instruction. You see, at that moment of time, he would have been tempted to succumb to the sin of unbelief. He would have been tempted to take things into his own hands. And unbelief could have overruled the circumstances that he was in. He could have been like the ten spies that went out to look at the great walls and giants and come back with this report that they could not take Cana because of the giants and because of the great walls. He didn't do that. He put God between himself and the circumstances. You see, if we look at the circumstances, fear and unbelief can creep in. Goliath was a giant. And when David looked at him and saw his size and knew how powerful he was in the sight of men, David himself looked very small and very insignificant. And so you see, when faith looks to God instead of circumstances, the circumstances take on their proper proportion in our eyes. They are very, very small, very small indeed. And I want you to notice this morning, Elijah looking to God and putting God between himself and the circumstances in which he found himself to be in. In faith, he was awaiting God's plan. And God would speak, and soon his servant would be on his way. God had spoken and led him from the brook Cherith to this widow in Zerapah. And the prophet had long since learned the secret of placing faith in a God who is able to meet his need, no matter how variant the circumstances of life would be. What about you? What about me this morning? Maybe the circumstances in which we find ourselves to be in are circumstances that can create anxiety and fear and apprehension and worry. And it would have been so easy for these things to have taken hold of Elijah. And maybe we would have been tempted to do what he didn't do And that was to take matters into our own hands. As we looked at the brook, as we saw the waters 
coming from a, a steady flow to just a mere trickle. As we waken up one morning to realize there's no more water in the brook. The brook is dry. What are we going to do? We're here because God has directed us here. We believe in a sovereign God. We believe in a God who's almighty and all-powerful. And sometimes when things don't work out the way we would like them to work out, we are tempted to take our eyes of the Lord. Unfortunately, at times, we're all full of our own ideas and our own schemes and our own plans. We think of Saul in 1 Samuel 15 when he was told to slay all the Amalekites and all their flock and all their beasts. And when Samuel didn't come, when Saul expected him to come, he took matters into his own hand and he offered burnt offerings contrary to God's requirements. What have we, what we have emphasized again in our consideration of the life and times of Elijah is simply this, that God does have a plan for our lives. Sometimes we think of God's plan for our lives in terms of those who are in what we call, not what the Bible calls, but what we have called full-time service. Sometimes we speak of God's plan for the life of a missionary, for the life of a pastor, for the life of an evangelist. But when we open the pages of Holy Scripture, we discover that God has a plan for the life of every individual child that belongs to him. And he is working it out amidst all the varying circumstances of life. We need to be content to wait upon God in order that God in his time and in his way will unveil his plan so that our lives might be the working out of his thoughts. Maybe we need to pray to God in a way that we haven't prayed for some time. Lord, show me your ways. Lord, teach me your paths. That's what David prayed in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all day. What do we learn about faith this morning? We learn that faith awaits God's plans. And secondly, we learn that faith adopts God's principles. We read these words in verse 10 this morning that Elijah arose and went to Zarephath. You see, God's principle is that of implicit obedience. Part of Elijah's success as a man of God can be attributed to the fact that he was prepared to go through with God regardless of what personal costs may be involved. With regard to the commands he received to go to the brook and then to Zarephath, without hesitation, he complied to them. And on both occasions, he acted in utter obedience to the voice of God. He may not have known, he wouldn't have known the exhortation uh, that Mary gave to the disciples in the marriage of Cana of Galilee. Whatever he says to you, do it. You see, this is what faith is all about. The biblical faith, true biblical faith, 
is confident obedience to God's word in spite of the circumstances and in spite of the consequences. This faith operates quite simply. We complicate it. Yours truly as well. God speaks. We hear his word. We trust his word. We act on it no matter what the circumstances are or what the consequences may be. The circumstances may be impossible. The consequences frightening and unknown. But we obey God's word just the same. And we believe that he will do what is right and what is best. Easy to sing it, isn't it? I've sung it heartily. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Maybe your unhappiness this morning has nothing to do with your circumstances or your family or your friends or your colleagues. But you're not trusting. And you're not obeying. You see, the world in which we live this morning understands nothing about true biblical faith. I wonder how much does it witness true biblical faith in your life and in my life. The writer to the Hebrews makes it clear that faith is a very practical thing. And in spite of what an unbelieving world might say, we learn this morning that faith in God enables us to understand what God does. Faith enables us to see what others cannot see. And faith enables us to do what others cannot do. It was Dr. J. Oswald Sanders who put it perfectly when he said, Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as present and the visible, the invisible as seen. And so here we have Elijah stepping out in faith. You know, when I was a young believer a few years ago, there used to be a, a terminology that was very much around in those days. I don't hear much of it now, but, you know, I used to hear people say, they're out in faith. They live by faith. And as I started to read my Bible, I discovered this, that every Christian is out in faith. That every Christian lives by faith. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, We walk by faith and not by sight. And it must be admitted that God's people are not all alike when it comes to adopting God's principle of obedience. We find it easier to sing about it than to actually allow the Spirit of God to outwork it. But the outworking of it can be so different than the singing of it. And I think sometimes we don't treat our faith as seriously and as biblically as we could or should. For a time, we seem just to tread in the shallows when God wants us to launch out into the deep. There came a moment when Elijah was led out of Cherith at God's appointed time. And go to a place called Zarephath. We'll learn a wee bit more about Zarephath in the weeks that lie ahead. He submits. You and I can so easily shrink back. And refusing to obey, we discover that our fellowship with God begins to deteriorate. 
And soon we're out of touch with God and out of step with the Almighty. And the lesson to grasp in Elijah's encounter with God is that our God both demands and desires obedience for our good, for our good, and for his glory. Sometimes when you tell your children to do something, or you tell them not to do something, at that moment of time, you're not top of the pops. You're not the flavor of the month or the flavor of the hour. And they almost have the impression that you don't really love them. The very fact that you tell them what to do is evidence that you do love them. The very fact that you tell them what not to do is evidence that you do love them. Don't go down to the shed with those boys, with those girls. Stay away from that place. Don't let me see you there. Why? Because bad company corrupts good manners. We give our children directives. We give our children commands. Because we are a killjoy. Because we want their life to be miserable. Because we delight to see their initial sad reaction to the directives, to the demands that we give them. No. Because we love them. Because we care for them. Because our experience of life allows us to know what is good for them and what is not good for them. So much more our Heavenly Father, who loves us more than human tongue could ever tell and human mind could ever imagine. And here we see the child of God, the servant of God, walking by faith and not by sight. Going to the place of God's appointment. And even being in the midst of God's will and things not working out, maybe humanly speaking, the way he thought they might have worked out, still trusting, still obeying. Remember the story that is recorded in the Gospels? Get into the boat, said Jesus to the disciples, and go to the other side. They all get into the boat. And before they reached the other side, there was a storm. There was a night in the sea that they never experienced before. And the language of some of them in the boat, indeed probably all of them, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Why is there a storm? After all, we're in the boat because Jesus told us to get into the boat. We're crossing to the other side because he told us to go to the other side. Listen, far better with Christ in the storm than without him in the calm. Trust and obey for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Elijah, the man of faith. Faith awaiting God's plan and faith adopting God's principles. Father, we thank you for your word. 
And we pray that you'll help us this morning, not just to be hearers of your word, but doers also. Write it in my heart. Help me to work it out in my life. Forgive me when I have been disobedient and should have been obedient. Forgive me, O Lord, when we have made decisions out of selfish motives. Help us, O God, to think about your honor and to think about your glory and to glorify your name in obedience. For Jesus' sake, amen.